everyone. Um, my name is Beth. I don't think I've got to meet all of you yet, but there's lots of nice, friendly faces smiling back at me. So I'm so glad to be preaching to you this morning. And so my name is Beth, and I'm from London. Caveat the accent, I'm actually from near Manchester originally. And um, we just moved up from a place called Felton, which is it's near Heathrow. It's basically super, super, super West London. It's not posh London. It's, yeah, it's not posh London. <laughs> anyway, I'm married to a guy called Luke, who is downstairs looking after our little girl called Bay, who is a bit of a wild force of an 18-month-year-old. You will definitely see her destroying the church. She stuck stickers to the floor this morning. Um, but yeah, so that's Luke and Bay. Get to know them because they are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. We also have a dog. Who has a dog? Raise your hand if you've got a dog. A lot of dogs. A lot of dogs on this side. Um, I, we've got a dog called Luther, who's a little cockapoo. Very cute. People keep calling him Lucifer, which I don't think is the right vibe when you've like, just been ordained. He's not called Lucifer. He's called Luther. Luther. Um, and he's very, very cute. And also a bit wild. We've got two wild small things running around our house at the moment. Um, but yeah, that is us. That's our family. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about bold expectancy. And I'm going to start with a story that's not from the Bible, shock, horror. Um, but it's about a guy called Honey. And has anyone read the book called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson? You'll know this story. So you might not have heard it, but it's about a guy called Honey, and he is from, he li he's living in first century BC, he's a Jewish scholar, and first century BC is a pretty tricky time to be alive. There's not much going on, in fact there's an extreme drought going on, so the people of Israel are on the verge of death, it's pretty desperate times. They hadn't had a prophet for a long time, so the people of God were probably feeling a bit forgotten by him, thinking, where are you, Lord? Are you going to speak? What's going on? We're literally about to die. Are you going to move? And in the midst of this really difficult times, the ground was hard, crops weren't growing, there's no water, all people are longing for is rain, is water. In the midst of this situation, this guy called Honey, he dared to pray and he dared to ask God to move. He was clinging on to an expectation that God is who he says he was and that he was going to do something, that he was going to save his people. So Honey, I, I imagine he was kind of like a wild John the Baptist type with long hair and a beard and, I don't know, just wore like underpants or something. Um, and so Honey, he had this staff and he drew a circle around himself in the ground, in the dust on the ground. And he had placed himself in the center. And once he'd drawn the, drawn the circle, he dropped to his knees and he began to pray, and he began to call on God to bring rain. So he lifted up his hands and he said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. And it began to rain. Droplets in the sky hitting the hard ground. So you can imagine, they were literally coming down, getting soaked up, coming down, getting soaked up, but this rain coming down. And the people were obviously going wild. They hadn't seen rain in a really long time. So there was dancing, there was joyful shouts. People were like, yes, it's come, it's finally come. But Honey didn't lift his head. He stayed on the ground, his head bowed, and he kept on praying. He wasn't satisfied with just a sprinkling of rain. He was asking God for more. And he prayed again. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for a rain that fills cisterns and pits and caverns. And then the rain became absolutely torrential. And it was absolutely chucking it down. I'm from Manchester. I know what rain looks like. But this was like another level of rain hitting the ground. And obviously, the people were going mad. 
But Honey, he's still, he's, still, he's still in this circle. He's still praying. The circle was beginning to fade away in the dust as the rain kind of washed it away. But he prayed one last time and he said, not for, such pray, not, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And in the circle maker it says, then the perfect rain shower began to calmly cover the dead and thirsty ground. Every raindrop was a sign of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit and refreshed the faith of all who were there that day. And after this, Honey, the rainmaker, went back to his little hovel on the outside of Jerusalem. And stuff went back to normal. But a new kind of expectation was set about what God was going to do. And I want to speak to you this morning about that bold expectancy. About what our expectations are of God currently. And whether we are selling him too short. And maybe maybe we need to raise our expectations of what God could do. So we're going to look at this story about this wedding in John. And it's a fun story. Water turns into wine. And and there's so much in it. Um, But I'm just going to share what I felt the Lord's been sharing, what been talking to me about. And um, we're going to talk about three different people. So we're going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, the servants, and the master of the banquet and what their expectations were, and what Jesus ended up doing. So firstly, we want to look at Mary, so Jesus' mom. Verses 3 to 5, it says this. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I'm assured that Jesus calling his mom woman is not a rude term. Apparently it's quite, I don't know, affectionate or normal. Um, so don't be put off by that. Um, it's not as rude as it sounds to our ears. So Mary notices the wine is gone. And as probably some of you know, if the wine runs out at a wedding in that time, it was deeply, deeply shameful. People, they would have been so embarrassed to have run out of wine at their own wedding. So Mary notices this and she turns to Jesus. She's trying to protect the honor of the wedding couple. She wants Jesus to intervene. And as I read this passage this week, I love this moment, but also feel so deeply uncomfortable with how Jesus talks to his mom (laughs) and the conversation that they have. And my instant reaction to Mary's desire for Jesus to want to do something, like like she wants him to sort the situation out, I would think that Jesus would be like, of course I will, mom, of course I will, I'll do whatever you want. But he doesn't say that. And they have this very human interaction between a mother and a son, where the mum kind of inadvertently asks him to do something, and he doesn't respond super well, um, but ends up doing what his mum wants anyway. And I'm not entirely sure why this happens. I've, I've, tried, I've tried to do a bit of Googling, a bit of research, and I can't figure out why, but I do love how relatable it is, and how often do we inadvertently ask someone to do something by stating a fact, and not actually asking them the question. <laughs> So I, I, just, I just like the fact that it shows who Jesus is. A bit, he is human as well as God. And I think Mary is prophetic in her asking of Jesus. She sees him as the answer to this problem. So she places her expectations of Jesus in the center of the problem and expects him to do something about it. Her faith is the catalyst in this situation. She has faith and expectation that Jesus will ultimately do something. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And this is the first miracle of Jesus in the book of John. So she might not have seen him do anything miraculous before, but she knows that he can and that he will. 
she had faith and trust in Jesus that he was going to move. And like Honey, she drew her circle around this situation and said, come on, do something. Mark Batterson, in um, his book, The Circle Maker, writes, bold, God, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea or make the sun stand still, and God is moved to omnipotent action. Mary was bold and confident in her expectation of Jesus. She asked the impossible, knowing that he can do it. She doesn't accept the situation as it is in its state of lacking, but she knows that her son has the answers and she calls on him to do it. So let's have a look at the servants. So verse 7, Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. The servants were obedient servants. They followed whatever Mary told them. And then they did what Jesus asked. And they filled these big jars to the brim. And I love this because I can imagine just like pouring the water and filling it up and then like struggling to carry it. They put as much as they possibly could in their jars. They were up to the maximum level. They were giving Jesus everything they possibly could to work with. They were filling it to the brim. They were expecting that something was going to be done with this water, so why would they not fill it to the top? And then the miracle happens somewhere between verse 7 and (laughs) 8. And Jesus has turned water into wine. The reality of heaven has broken into the world, and this water has been transformed into wine for the good and probably to protect the the honor of the married couple. And as I've been reflecting on that, that verse in particular, I feel like our lives are like these water jars and that we have the choice to choose how much we offer to Jesus. So we could offer him a few drops kind of swilling around the bottom of the jar. Or maybe we put a few things in and we just say, have this, have this, maybe not this, have this. We fill it halfway and we say, Lord, have that. Or we can choose to put every single thing in our lives in this jar, fill it right up to the brim and ask the Lord, what do you want to do with this? My whole life, every single thing. I'm not withholding anything from you. And it reminds me of my mum, this story, and how much she filled her jar and offered it to Jesus. So my mum was brought up in a very regular family in a place called Glossop, which is where I'm from, uh, which is near Manchester. She had a very normal childhood. She went to school, did school stuff, met my dad, uh, married my dad, and then they moved to Wales and went to uni in Wales and had me and my twin brother, Jack. And as I was trying to clarify this story with my mum this week, she, she was like, Beth, you need to let the people know that life was good for me. I was happy. Um, she was like, that's point clarification. Mum, wherever you are watching, you were happy. <laughs> she was living in Wales at the time, and she had me and my brother, and she just felt this calling to God, like a draw, like that God was like drawing her close. And she had no experience of God. She didn't, have, she didn't know any Christians, hadn't been to church before. But she just felt like God was calling her. And as we, my parents moved back to Glossop, which is where I'm from, um, she felt this desire grow stronger and stronger to know God. But she didn't really know what to do with it. She didn't know anyone who was a Christian. And her brother-in-law at the time was going through a crisis. And he also had a similar longing. He didn't know, he didn't know Jesus. He had a similar longing to, um, to, to like see what God was about. And so he asked my mum, do you want to come to church with me? 
And she said, yeah. And so she went to this church in Glossop, which is a very normal, normal, like so normal Church of England church. Um, and they walked through the doors. My mum said as soon as she walked through the doors, like the like longing to know God just like increased. Like it was like ridiculous. Like it was the Holy Spirit moving, but she didn't even know who he was. And in this really, really, really normal Church of England church, for some reason that Sunday, the guy who was leading the service like gave an altar call. He like felt prompted to give a bit of an altar call and ask if anyone wanted to give their lives to Jesus. And my mom and her brother-in-law, they walked forward and they gave their life to Jesus on their first time in church. Absolutely incredible. And my mom said that her life, I mean, I feel like loads of people say this when they become Christians, that their life went from black and white to full color. And she was like, flip, like this is what life's about. And she said that life... It wasn't easy, and she actually quite struggled with people's expectations of her, people that knew her before she was a Christian. So her parents were like, why are you believing in Jesus? You're an intelligent woman. <laughs> and um, I mean, even my dad, my dad struggled with the fact that like, my mum needed something else. So he was like, why, why is our family and what we've got not good enough? Why, why do you need faith as well? But over the next few years, my mum my brought me and my brother to church every week as she prayed that my dad would get to know Jesus too. And over the years, my dad began to notice changes in my mum. And ultimately, he came to faith as well. When I think about my mum's story, she, like the servants, brought her jar full to the brim. She like, had her family in there, her kids, her husband, her job, her life, everything. She poured it out, put it in the jar, offered it to Jesus and said, Lord, can you transform this? And that is what he did. Me and my brother have known Jesus pretty much our whole entire lives because of my mum's yes to him. And the same with my dad. He only knows Jesus because my mum ultimately was obedient to him at the start. The legacy of her simple action of offering her whole life to Jesus is significant. Like, I wouldn't be stood here on this stage giving you this message if my mum hadn't said yes to Jesus. If you, like, I don't know how many years ago now, a long time ago. So much fruit has come from it. And it's incredible what God can do with a whole life offered to him. So let's look at the, um, the master of the banquet. So this is verse 9 to 10. And it says, The master of the banquet tasted the tasted that the water had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. The master of banquet, he's been to loads of weddings, and he's got a very firm expectation of what happens, that the nice wine comes out first, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Everyone gets a bit merry, then they bring out the cheap stuff, and no one notices because like, they've, had, they've had a few too many. Um, but this wedding, something different happens. Jesus is at the wedding, so something, something different is going to happen. And he far surpassed the, wed um, the banquet what was he called? The master of the banquet's expectations of what was going to happen during this wedding. And I was thinking about the master of the banquet, and I feel like I'm like the master of the banquet. And so often I have this, I come to God with very certain, often low expectations of what he's going to do in my life. I kind of think it might either not work or it might do a little something, but it's not going to be life-changing. And so often he completely surpasses my expectations of what he's going to do and what he can do. At my church in Felton uh, a few years ago, 
it's what's well, so itself is a quite deprived area and the church I was at was a church plant into this area. So as a result of that, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, and one Christmas, I think it was 2020, so we were like middle of the pandemic or just about to go into lockdown too. Um, and we were prayer walking the streets of Felton and we were praying for the people who lived in the flats, the schools, the homes, the local businesses. And we we're also asking the Lord what he wanted us to do as a church for Christmas. And a few of us felt called, uh, like, well, drawn basically to this big billboard. And it was plastered on the side of, um, you know, those off licenses that sell everything. It's like you can get a bucket, you can get a can of coke, you can get everything. One of those shops. There's a big billboard on the side of it, and it's right in the center of town. And I think it had like a McDonald's advert or something like that on it. Um, and we all felt drawn to pray that the Lord was give, would give us this billboard and that we'd be able to put our Christmas service on the side and like, everyone would come to our church and come to know Jesus. Um, and a bit of an impossible prayer, as we definitely didn't have the money to pay for a massive billboard throughout the Christmas period. Um, but we prayed, and I kind of just didn't really think much of it. I thought, that's a nice idea, but, you know, like, yeah, got on with, got on with my life and didn't really think about it. And a couple of days later, I was walking home and from work, and I turned onto the high street, and I saw the billboard again, and I was like, that looks different. Like, what's going on? And I looked at it, and it was, it was just a big, big, like, orange square, and it had the words hope across the middle. And I only realized this morning that the color of this advert was actually in the church branding colors of the church that I came from. And I was like, what? That's, that can't be, that can't be. And so I walked over and I looked and it was a B&Q advert. But the B&Q logo was so small, you couldn't even tell it was a B&Q advert. Um, but the Lord had like completely surpassed my expectations of what he could do. Do you know, like our little small prayers and our very small finances. And I was like, the Lord's not going to give us this give us this billboard um, yeah I thought what could he do and to be honest it wasn't the answer it wasn't what I wasn't what we prayed for but the Lord used our prayers for his purposes anyway he knew that like we didn't need our church services advertised on a billboard but what the people felt them needed to hear was hope and to see hope plastered in the middle of the of the town the whole Christmas period and so I love that, that he like, even though it's a bit embarrassing that we prayed for a billboard for a very small church plant, like he used it anyway, he used those prayers anyway, completely surpassed my expectations. And I want to live like Mary and those servants in that place of faith where I'm expectant for him to move, rather than settle for him doing like a little something or nothing at all and me trying to make it work myself. I want to have bigger expectations of what he's got for me. When I think about my life and the times that I've seen him move, I feel like I've seen him move throughout my whole life. And he's constantly been going above and beyond for me, and I've just been inspecting so little. And there's a period of my life where I feel like I saw him move loads, so like miracles and healings and lots of stuff going on. And it was when I was 18, so about 10 years ago now, and I was on a gap year, and I kind of dedicated this year of kind of like getting to know God more and serving him and all that. And I felt like my faith grew so much in that year because I saw him do like so many miracles and whatever. And as a result, my expectations of God were so much higher than they are now probably. But I don't really want to live on the stories of what I saw God do 10 years ago or five years ago and think that that's all God has got for me because it's not true. God has so much more. I want to have high expectations of our God now. I want to believe and live out 
that God is who he says he is, that he is our healer, that he is our redeemer, that he is our provider, that he is our rock. And as I've been around for a couple of weeks, I haven't been here, I haven't stuck for six yet, but I've been here for three. Um, In my three... (laughs) I have noticed so much faith in this room. My faith has grown in the past three weeks of being here and being around you guys. There's so much faith in this room. But I want to encourage us this morning to raise our expectations of what God could do. To not set off what happened last week or five years ago, but to pray for God-sized things, things that are actually impossible, things that we couldn't make do ourselves. And as we move into a time when we're going to respond this morning... I want to encourage you to bring your jar full to the brim today. Don't bring it half empty or just drop to the bottom. Bring it full to the brim. Don't withhold anything from him today. Fill it up and bring it to him today and ask him, Lord, how are you going to transform this into wine? Bring it full to the brim. And I want to finish with that quote again just to kind of set our hearts in a place of responding. So I wonder whether we could stand up. And we're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit. Couldn't Neil come off as well? I I can't see him anywhere. So let's read that quote. You might want to close your eyes, get into a space where you're going to engage with God. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they're insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea or make the sun stand still, and God is moved to omnipotent action. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Jesus, we invite you to meet with us now. God, I thank you for stirring faith in this room, and we pray that you would stir it again now, Jesus. Fill this room with your spirit. Jesus, will be bring our jars full this morning? God, I pray you'd highlight to us anything we're withholding from you. And God, would you transform what's in our jars for your good, for your glory, Let's just wait.